0: Two think, two unique think, two new, new experiences happened to us when we were there. I thought I'd share with you. This is really change your life kind of stuff, you know. Uh, one is uh, Georgia has scorpions. How many people knew that? Georgia has scorpions. They're about an inch and a half long. They sting like a bee or a wasp, basically, with the tail. We didn't get stunned, but we did kill seven. And so Linda and I are crowning ourselves the queen and king Scorpion, you know, scorpion king and queen, I should say, you know. So, don't you get kind of an image of scorpion king, you know, like that? I know it's hard to imagine that on this frame, but anyway, just try to go there, all right? Um, and the other thing that happened that we experienced for the first time was a tropical storm came through there. It spun up as high as we were in the mountains of Georgia and uh, dumped 10 inches of rain. Uh, but, the, you know, we, but most of the time that, you know, 10, 12 days we were there uh, before that was just beautiful and was very restful for us. And we were watching the service here online when we were there, which was, which was fun to do. And just to be on the other end of things, you know, enjoyed, uh, and, you know, it felt like it. Once I killed the seventh one, I thought, that's the perfect number, you know. Uh, but yeah, it, it, was, it was crazy. We had, uh, you know, we've been going down there since our sixth year going to the same place. We've never seen one before and uh, apparently just a bad year for him. But anyway, we're glad to be back and uh, glad to be looking at the, uh, the book of Daniel with you guys here. Let me get that up here. Um, so we've been on this. This is our seventh week. We've been spending one week on each chapter. And uh, this week is kind of different, all right? Uh, this week would, I, I can imagine it would make a great movie, Okay, uh, it's certainly nightmarish part of it. Uh, so there's uh, the, the title of the message today is a hope-filled vision, and the first part is kind of scary, uh, but the ending of the vision is very hope-filled. And so um, I just thought, you know, how appropriate because <clears throat> a lot of people have different life circumstances that are going on that are kind of scary, kind of overwhelming. You know, maybe job loss or um, you know, or, or even just sickness, uh, uncertainty of different things. And so um, that can be very scary. But if we remember that God's in control, he's reigning and ruling, uh, that can help anchor us uh, in the midst of all of that. And uh, I just want to remind everybody, we've been uh, focusing in on one main theme As we go through the book of Daniel in the Bible, one main theme, and that is, contrary to the way things appear, God is in control and wants his people to live faithfully where they are. And uh, you'll see that theme touched on again today. It's just this idea of that things look like they're out of control, but they're not. Um, You know, things can be chaotic here, but God's still on the throne. Um, So, at any rate, let me pray. And as before we get into reading the passage today, Heavenly Father, we are just grateful that you uh, are on the throne, and uh, sometimes it's hard to remember that because we so often live our lives uh, by sight and not by faith. And, um, and so, Lord, help us, God, to, to really just hang on to you. And uh, Lord, I also want to pray for people in our church family, our friends and family as well that might be sick right now, that are struggling uh, in all kinds of ways, maybe with their mental health, maybe uh, just really depressed. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you'd help the cloud to lift in their lives, and they would find their hope in you, and that uh, you would meet them in their struggle, and that also, God, that you would help us um, as you lead us to to um, to help and be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. And so, Lord, I just pray now that you would help me to communicate your word um, in a way that's honoring to you and that's true to the Scriptures. Uh, Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, in the past, as I've been going through Daniel, I've been able to kind of take it chunks at a time in each chapter. But today, we really need, I think, to read the chapter first. Um, You need to get the vision and its interpretation, okay? Because if I were to give a a, a kind of a a large level, a big level, top level outline of this passage, the first 14 verses of Daniel 7 are all about the vision that Daniel has in a dream. And then verses 15 to 28 is all about the interpretation, okay? So that's how it's laid out. So I'm going to read to you guys Uh, In a different version than I normally read in here, normally I use the English Standard Version. I'm going to use the New Living Translation today because I'm going to be reading a good bit. And it it just, in my opinion, it listens better, (laughs) or I listen better. (laughs) Maybe that's it. Uh, It's easier to listen to. Okay, so I'll just start reading here in verse 1. It says, uh, again, this is Daniel chapter uh, 7, verse 1. I don't have all the verses up here. But you can uh, either use your device there. If you go to our homepage, darbycreek.org, click on Sermon Notes, it will open up uh, the Bible app and show you those notes. Or if you have another Bible app on your phone you want to use, you can just find your way to Daniel 7. Verse 1 says, Earlier, uh, during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and this is what he saw. So here we go. Right? He says, In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of a great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. Then four huge beasts, four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the others. I mean, is this crazy a dream or what? Already? We've got chaos happening with the sea and four beasts coming out of it, each all different from the others. And now we're going to get a little bit of information about each one of the beasts, okay? So in verse three, it says, uh, verse four, it says, the first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. As I watched, its wings were pulled off and it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground, like a human being. And it was given a human mind. So the first beast is a lion-like thing with wings, okay? And it says it was given a mind like a human, and it was standing there like a human. Now, remember that. This particular beast having these characteristics. We'll revisit that in just a little bit. Now, the second beast, verse 5, then I saw a second beast, and it looked like a bear. It was rearing up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying to it, get up. Devour the flesh of many people. So this second beast looks like a bear, and it's got these ribs sticking out of his mouth like it was gnawing on something, right? That's the image there. Verse 6, Then the third of these strange beasts appeared, and it looked like a leopard. It had four bird's wings on its back and four heads. Listen to this. This is the first time we get this description. It, had, it says, Great authority was given to this beast. Great authority was given to this beast. So a leopard-like thing with wings and four heads, right? Now we get to, it says, Then in my vision that night I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts, and it had ten horns. Now, what do you notice about the fourth beast that was totally, uh, that's not mentioned? What's, what's not mentioned about the fourth beast that was about the other three? Any observations? No what's that? No yeah, no authority was mentioned. That's true. So, but the other ones were animal-like, Right? The other one was ram- this one. It says it was totally not like that. It was just—it's just a beast. We don't, it doesn't even liken it to any kind of an animal, but it does seem to be more violent, doesn't it? More powerful. And of course, it had ten horns. And as it was looking at the horns, suddenly a small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out of the roots to make room for it. This little horn had eyes like human human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, right? I mean, there's the ten horns on the fourth beast and three of the horns are displaced and one little horn with a mouth on it in the literal and figurative aspect of it because it's boasting arrogantly. It has eyes like a human and a mouth like a human and it's spouting off at the mouth, okay? And so... This is the fourth beast. Okay, now, imagine a movie where this is going on, and the spotlight's on it, and now you keep the spotlight on that, but now you turn the light on a different area of the room, of the stage, and here's what appears. Verse 9, I watched as thrones were put in place, and the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool, he sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session and the books were opened. So as you get this vision of these four beasts happening, simultaneously you get another image of what's going on over here is you have... This courtroom scene with one who's called the Ancient of Days and some judgment is about to come down, all right? Verse 11, I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them but they were allowed to live a little, long, a little while longer. This is why I think these images were happening concurrently, right? Because he's like, as the courtroom thing was going on, this little horn was still mouthing off, still boasting in the presence of the ancient one, right? So, then verse 13 says, as my vision continued that night... I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. So there's someone called like who's like the son of man, and we'll talk about who that is. All right, so you've got the the scene of the beast, you've got this courtroom scene that's also happening there, and then one who's called, who's like the Son of Man, right? Now, now we get to the interpretation. Let's get to what is this about? What's all this imagery going on, right? And I, I didn't mention this yet, but you probably know this maybe, but this is a, you know, the, the entire way of writing has totally switched here in Daniel. Everything before chapter 7 is all historical narrative, you know, this happened, this happened, this happened, right? Now we're in apocalyptic literature, right, where we got visions, we've got things that take us, fast forward us in time, right, to see what's going to happen, uh, and so on. And so that's what's that's the type of literature here that we're in. Even within the same book, there are sometimes different types of biblical literature. And this one, Now is apocalyptic. And so we get to verse 15. Listen to the interpretation. I, Daniel, was troubled by all I had seen. I'll be like, no kidding, right? (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) Yeah, we're all going to have to change our shorts after that dream, right? Okay, so he's, he's like, and my visions terrified me, verse 16. So I approached one of those standing beside the throne and asked him what it all meant. So Daniel's like going up to one of those millions of angels. He's like, what does it all mean? What does this mean, right? And so, he says, he explained it to me like this. So, Daniel's going to report the explanation by the angel. It says, these four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that will arise from the earth. But in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom, and they will rule forever and ever. So in a nutshell, that's like the interpretation He's like these four beasts are like four kingdoms ruling the earth, but in the end, the holy people of God, the believers are going to rule and reign okay so that's like the the the, the now and the not yet okay uh, but but will be right and so. He continues on, verse 19, then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast. So he asked the angel another question. So, he, you know, he just keeps asking questions. He says, hey, I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, the one so different from the others, so terrifying. It had devoured and crushed its victims with iron teeth and bronze claws, trampling their remains beneath its feet. I also asked the ten, about the ten horns on the fourth beast's head, and the little horn that came up afterward and destroyed the three of the other horns. This horn had seemed greater than the others, and it had human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. Uh, you guys may or may not know, but in the Old Testament, a horn is a sign of strength, okay? So if you say something had ten horns, it has a lot of strength, okay? And so this is it's, it, this imagery means a lot, especially to the original hearers, because they, they knew what this... Much of this uh, symbolism meant, especially the the horns, all right? And so, verse 21, as I watched, this horn was waging war against God's holy people and was, was defeating them. That verse I just read is new information, was not told to us in the original account from Daniel. Did you catch that? It says, as I watched, this horn, the little mouthy horn, Right? was waging war against God's holy people and was defeating them, okay? So in this imagery, this little horn represents some kind of oppression and persecution of God's people, all right? All right, so then it goes on and says, verse 22, until the until, so there's this defeating of God's people, until the ancient one, The Most High came and judged in favor of his holy people. Then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. So do you see this? He's saying, for a time, God's going to let this happen, right? There's going to be persecution. There's going to be suffering of God's people. But he says, until the ancient one comes to claim his own, and his people will rule the kingdom, okay? More to come on that. It says, then, uh, then he said to them, this fourth, this fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling and crushing everything in its path. Its ten horns are ten kings. Did you get that? That fourth beast that had the ten horns, the ten horns are ten kings. Right, Ten kings... Um, it says, it's, it's ten horns or ten kings who will rule that empire. Then another king will arise, different from the other ten, who will subdue three of them. He will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, and they will be placed under his control for a time, times, and a half a time. So all we just need to know is there's persecution, there's suffering going on of God's people for a time. Okay? There's lots of speculation on how long that is, time, times, and a time and a half. I mean, <clears throat> more charts and books have been written on who these kingdoms are, when they existed, if they have existed, if they will exist yet, all that stuff. And I think there are some things that I could maybe say about the first beast um, that I will here in just a second. But um, I think sometimes we can miss the forest for the trees, okay? Uh, I'm not willing to go to the wall for which beast is which kingdom, but I am willing to go to the wall of the fact that there is, this is telling us that suffering uh, of God's people is going to happen for a time through a number of kingdoms, right, and kings, and world powers, uh, And but then, in the end, God's people uh, will, will rule. Will rule in a new heavens and new earth, Okay, if you read your scriptures, uh, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, all right? So, almost here to the end. So, verse 26, then the court will pass judgment and all his power, meaning that fourth beast, that, and that, that horn, that small hornet specifically, all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever, and all rulers will serve and obey him. That was the end of the vision. I, Daniel, was terrified by my thoughts, and my face was pale with fear, but I kept these things to myself. So, that's chapter 7. And there are basically four things I just want to point out uh, as we go along. And then I've got three things about how that applies to our life. Because we can sit there and say, you know, what What, is this, what did we do with that? Besides from kind of getting some information about the future, how can that, uh, what does God want us to take away from this? And I think that's important. We realize that all scripture is profitable. All scripture helps us live our lives. Uh, it may just not be so obvious at the first glance. And so there'll be three points of application here in just a bit that we can take away. But one of the things I want to just point out that we've kind of mentioned, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, that is that, you know, those four beasts, uh, evil powers are terrorizing God's people. That, that's just, you know, it's it's a simple statement, but that's really what's happening there. Um, you may remember, or may not, if you were the, with us, but back in chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a statue, which had, was composed of different types of elements, and Many people, and I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing, see a direct correlation with the four kingdoms here mentioned, the four beasts and those four elements of the statue. I don't think that's a bad thought, particularly because I think the first beast reminds me so much of the Babylonian kingdom. Here's why. Again, I told you I wouldn't go to the wall for identifying particular kingdoms here, but I think this one here uh, leans a little bit towards Babylon, and here's why. Remember how I told you, remember the lion and how it described that lion there? It says, the first beast was the lion with eagle's wings. Um, as I watched, its wings were pulled off. It was left standing with two hind feet on the ground like a human being, and it was given a human mind. <clears throat> Do you remember what uh, happened to King Nebuchadnezzar? He was proud. God had to humble him. He was running around like a wild beast, right? Until he came to his senses and God humbled him. And then God stood him up on his two feet and gave him his right mind back. And I just think it's no accident here. I really think that first beast is probably the Babylonians, the Babylonian kingdom. All right. Um, other than that, I don't really know for sure. People have speculated, Roman Empire, uh, the Greeks. Uh, the Medes and the Persians, um, you know, maybe. Um, but think about it. Even just that one beast had ten horns, and they represented ten kings. So we just we just need to kind of not folk worry about finding out every little detail if we're not given it, okay? And um, so anyway, I, I say just just remember this: evil powers terror God's people. This is has has happened, will happen. Until the Lord comes back, okay. Um, you don't see it. You and I don't see it so much here, in terms of we have we have pretty good religious freedom, right? Thus far, and so so. But when you look other places, it's not the case, right? Uh, it's illegal places around the world to put your faith in Christ or publicly identify with Christ, you know, um, and so on and so. Uh, and if people are beheaded for proclaiming Christ and. So you know that's that's real suffering, that's real oppression, that's real persecution, isn't it? And that is happening. And uh, you know we don't know what we'll experience here uh, at what level, but just just know if you choose to follow Jesus the God of the Bible, right? If you choose to follow Him, there will be some kind of opposition. You there you just not some people are not going to like you just because of who you identify with. And that just is a fact, okay? No matter how kind you try to be, no matter how you much try to love them, if you live your life by the word of God and want to follow Jesus, you will face opposition. That's one of the things I wrote down here is that the kingdoms of this world uh, will always be in conflict with the kingdom of God. The kingdoms of this world will always be in conflict with the kingdom of God no matter how nice you try to be, right, if you're going to be an uncompromising Christian, some people will not like you, no matter how lovingly you try to live out that truth, okay? That's, that's a fact. So, <clears throat> so we have these different beasts here. Again, we mentioned about the small horn uh, is, is, you know, boasting arrogantly and so on. But that's the first The first thing. The other thing I want to mention here is talk a little bit about the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days, I think, clearly is God the Father there, right? God the Father, He's who basically, you think about this uh, in the ESV, it calls him Ancient of Days. In the uh, New Living Translation I just mentioned there, it's called the Ancient One. But that name that's given to him just kind of points out the fact of his eternality. He's been around forever, will be around forever, Okay. The eternality of God, ancient of days, right? My kids might call me ancient, but I'm not that ancient, right? But ancient of days is God the Father. He is the only one who's really worthy to open the book and to execute judgment, right? Um, he's seen it all, right, from beginning to end, and He is worthy to have uh, this judgment on evil. Not just on evil empires and kingdoms and kings, but also individuals. And so that is the Ancient of Days. Okay? Now, what about the Son of Man? What about this one like the Son of Man? And this is kind of interesting. When you look back over here in verses 13 and 14, okay, listen to what it says about this. It says, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone, listen, like a Son of Man. That usually means... Human-like, like a minute. human-like, but what was he doing? Coming with the clouds of heaven. Okay, and these people would have known any imagery about coming with the clouds is divinity. It's a divine messenger of some sort, if not God himself coming in the clouds, okay? So again, we have to try to put ourselves in their place, the, the recipients of this book originally that they were writing to, and that is again the coming of the clouds is some imagery of divinity, but the son of man is, 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 is it's almost like the the god man's the divinity and humanity and uh, it sounds familiar doesn 't it? Um, now, let me point you to a couple things that I think maybe these people would have thought is especially when they start talking about how this son of man says he approached the ancient one, so you know that That uh, You know, it's different, Different. uh, how do I want to say it, persons of the Trinity, right? You've got God the Father is the Ancient One, and the Son of Man, you can tell I'm pointing towards Jesus here. I'll explain that in a second, okay? And so, because they're both in the same scene, if you will, they're distinct, right? And so, it says, he approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. He, meaning this this one like the Son of Man, was given authority, honor, sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey Him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. God's people have heard this kind of promise before. And specifically, King David has heard a promise like this before. Your kingdom will never end. Back in 2 Samuel... Uh, let me read it for you. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13. Now, this is uh, David is hearing, King David is hearing a word from God, kind of a promise from God. And here he says this. He says, he shall build, he, speaking of uh, uh, David's um, kids who will come after him, he says, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Talking about Solomon. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. Verse 15 But my steadfast love will not depart from him as it took as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Verse 16, listen to this. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This promise of a continual Someone on the throne forever and ever is promised to David. Who's of the line of David? Jesus, right? If you read there in the opening chapters of the Gospels, you get, the you know, you, you, one you get kind of Mary's line, and the other one you get uh, the line of David, right, and so on. And so you see, you know, Jesus, son of Jesus, right? It, it, the line is connected here. So this is, this is talking about Jesus. But let me, you might say, well, you're just kind of drawing lines that aren't there. Well, Take a look in Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, verse 62. Again, trying to figure out who is this one, this uh, one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Mark chapter 14, verses 61 and 62 says, uh, and this is, by the way, this is Jesus in front of the council. He's getting questioned. They're asking him questions. Verse 61 says, But he remained silent and made no answer again. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Verse 62, and Jesus said, I am, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power, listen, and coming with the clouds of heaven. This is Jesus. In Daniel 7, it's Jesus. One like the son of man is Jesus coming on the clouds of heaven. Right? Well, he didn't come that way the first time. He's coming that way the second time. Okay? His second coming. Right? So, so we, we need to realize that this is something that I think we can hang our hat on. This is talking about Jesus. The kingdom is turned over to him, right? And so he is the one coming on the clouds. So the Son of Man receives the kingdom. That's what happens in verse 14. He was given authority, honor, sovereignty over all the nations and so on. So the Ancient One gives him that authority. God the Father gives the Son this authority over all the nations of the world. This is, this is fast-forwarding us here in time. In the future. All right. Then this last point before we get to some application here. Does God's people join with the Son of Man? And that's really the other kind of scene that happens here. Is we have uh, in verse 18. So take a look at verse 18. See what it says about God's people. Verse 18. But in the end, the holy people of the Most High. That's believers. Believers in Jesus. The holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom, and they will rule forever and ever. Then in verse 27 of Daniel, uh, Daniel 7, listen to what it says again. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given, who? To the holy people of the Most High, right? His kingdom will last forever, and all rulers will serve and obey him. So, so here we have, in the end, Followers of Jesus, it appears, will reign with Jesus somehow in this new heaven and this new earth. Now, uh, 2 Timothy 2.12 says this, and it's speaking to believers. If we endure, if we endure, listen, we will reign with him. He's speaking to believers. If we endure, we will reign with him. Well, why do you think he would say if we endure? Well, There must be some suffering to endure. There must be something we're going to have to go through, right? So, again, link this back with Daniel, right? We will, believers will somehow have a role in ruling, uh, you know, serving the Lord uh, through ruling in the new heavens and the new earth. And there's other places you could go that would point us to that same direction. So, just know that God's people will join with the Son of Man, right? We will be caught up in the clouds, it says, with Him. This is not, you know, this, uh, <clears throat> if you, if you, you again, i just kind of throw it out here. Our church believes that the, the Bible is the Word of God, okay? And every word is true. And, uh, you know, I, you just have to realize that this is going to happen, okay? And we believe this is going to happen. Literally, this is going to happen. Christ is going to come in the clouds, Okay? And at some point, depending on how you view the end times, when, when we join him in that, might be at a different time, we're not going to get into all that, that's a whole lot of a set of charts. Okay? But just the idea is that we will meet him in the air, whether we go back up to heaven and come down, or whether we're meeting him in the air, we come right back down, that's where all the different charts go differently. Uh, but again, that doesn't matter for this message, but what we need to realize, that's going to happen. And... Um, which kind of really leads us into the application here. What, what's our takeaway? You know, and it, it's important for us to kind of read the word, explain it a little bit, and now let's see what the takeaway is. Application for us. We must not be naive about the reality of suffering as a believer. Um, don't let anybody tell you that following Jesus is just like a bed of roses and everything's going to go great for you, you know, uh, if you follow Jesus, he's going to fix all your problems. Uh, he's going to help you. He's going to be there with you, but that doesn't mean you're going to have problems. Okay? Uh, if you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean you're going to have a full bank account. If you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean you're going to have two beamers in the, in the driveway. Um, some people would sell you that line of thinking, which is totally wrong. We'd call that the prosperity gospel, which is not a true gospel. Okay, and so um, following Jesus can have all kinds of outcomes. There are, I know rich people that follow Jesus. I know poor people that follow Jesus. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's just, I'm just saying, it, it's just you have to realize, though, that um, there is some level of suffering involved in following Jesus. Okay, and again, like I said earlier, it doesn't matter how kind you try to be doesn't matter how much you're going to try to love on somebody. If you're going to stand on the truth of the Word of God and f- try to be faithful to the Lord, there will be people that you're just going to have to say, well, you know, if you're not going to accept me because I believe the Word of God, then you're just not going to accept me. That's going to be the way it is. And some people, right, are just going to um, suffer for that physically, uh, maybe financially suffer, um, you know, uh, you know. I'm not going to make any predictions. I, it just, this is just, you're going to suffer. It's just the reality. And the more, the more we understand that, the more we can kind of be prepared to realize that just because we experience suffering for following Jesus doesn't mean we're doing something wrong. Some people would have you believe there is something wrong if you're just not experiencing the good life. Okay? So that's the first thing. Romans, uh, I have this, uh, I'll just read it to you. Romans 8. 16 and 17, mentions this about the suffering. Listen, it says, The Spirit of God, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, listen, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So those verses point out a number of things, but one is that it says, if we suffer with him, then we will be glorified with him. Okay, Just... Pointing out, there's there's plenty of scripture that reinforces the fact that uh, believers will suffer uh, for being believers. Okay. The second thing, uh, takeaway for us now, is just that our eyes, uh, our eyes must look beyond the events of history and current events to the throne of God. What's happening in this vision, right? You get the you get the the beast, the chaos, and the. And the persecution with the, the part of the vision with the with the beast, but then you have also juxtaposed to that the courtroom of God, right? Evil judged in the end. And that God's people will be upheld, will be rescued eventually. Okay? And so with that, uh you know, I, I think in that imagery, we could say we gotta look past the chaos and look towards the throne of God, that he is reigning and ruling, even amidst all the chaos, even amidst persecution and suffering of believers. And so, um, there's a verse I want to mention to you on this, Colossians 3, 2 to 4. Colossians 3, 2 to 4 says, listen, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. That's really hard. You know why? Because guess what? You got to put food on the table. (laughs) You got to take care of the kids. You got to make the car payment. You got to, I mean, you got to go to school. You got to take your tests. Sometimes people have to go to school and work. It's the daily stuff, right? And um, if we're being real, it's a challenge to have our minds set on things above when so much of what we're focusing in is on to do the daily things here on earth. And God doesn't want us to jettison those earthly responsibilities. No, he doesn't want us to do that. But he wants us to try to, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, um, when you drive, you know, you, you got to keep your eyes focused ahead, but you also got your eye in the rear of your mirror, you know, and you're checking your mirrors. At least I hope you do. Right? Uh, you're supposed to kind of be checking those as you're driving. So you're, you're kind of multitasking there to some degree and staying off your phone, right? And so, uh, so when we're living our lives for Christ and we're trying to live out this set your mind on things above, it, we're, we, we, we have to learn to keep our eyes on the Lord while we're doing the things on the earth here. Doing it his way, doing it with his character by the filling of the Holy Spirit, Right? And so, listen to the rest of these verses here in Colossians. It says, so again, it says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Listen, when Christ, who is your life, appears, here we go, second coming, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's a connection in these Colossians verses with his coming and setting your eyes on the things above, okay? And maybe some of us need to use this as an opportunity, this Colossians verse um, and this this Daniel passage to get us to focus on the Lord. Maybe we've been distracted. Maybe we've not put him first uh, in everything, right? And, And maybe this is the challenge to do that. Now, the third thing is this. As people of God... Our hopes are not to be placed in human centers of power, but in the one, capital O, who is coming in the clouds. And I've got some verses here to to mention to you for this one. It shouldn't be that Colossians verse, sorry. It should be Psalm 146, verse 3, which says, "...put not your trust in princes, in a son of man," meaning a human, "...in whom there is no salvation," Uh, Psalm 118 verses 8 and 9 says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. You know, and you can just find verse after verse that says, You know, don't trust in humankind, right, to solve all your problems. Don't put your hope in that, okay? And, and, And fine, as humans, God's given us brains and He wants us to use our brains, right, to take care of business here for sure. But listen, we can't, humanity does not have, does not have, cannot solve every problem. Okay? Uh, if you believe that, you would lean towards what I would call a humanist. He basically says, we can solve all of our own problems. And again, don't see me as a person who's like, we can't solve anything. Okay? I'm not saying that. But, you know, there are certain things that are the root of many other problems, and the root is the heart of mankind, okay? And that, the heart problems that we have, the heart meaning that the core of who we are, can only be solved by relationship with God. That's the only way, okay? Um, that is the only way. And and, and and I think about, I didn't share this the last time, see, so you guys get a bonus segment. You can get it from the nine o'clock, you guys get an extra bonus here. And that is, that horn that little horn with a mouth on it, that kept boasting or I feel like, you know, okay, yeah, that represents kingdoms for sure. I think that kind of also represents humanity apart from God. Humanity apart from God, just boastful and proud and all of this, right, defying God. That's how we are naturally. We may not think of ourselves that way, but read Romans chapters 1 through 3. You'll come up to a different conclusion on God's evaluation of the human heart, okay, and that is that we're desperately wicked, okay, and and we need help. We need to be saved from ourselves, right? And here's the thing, just to, just to keep this real short, Jesus in there in Daniel seven comes to save his people, right? And and he wants to save anyone who will turn to him and give them uh, give him their heart and say, Lord. I acknowledge that my heart is desperately wicked in need of saving and uh, loves to do life its own way and not necessarily always your way, God. That's, that's, that's just rebellion in our heart, you know. We're born that way, okay. We're born in need of a Savior, and Christ has come to be that Savior. It is that Savior. And so um, I'm just mentioning this because, you know, He. Jesus in, there in Daniel 7 comes to save his people in the end, right? Well, he, wa- he wants you to be among them, okay? To give your life to him, to, to invite him to come into your life and forgive you your sin. These people that are getting baptized today, they've already experienced that, right? This baptism does not save them. It does not bring them into a relationship with God. They are acting something out, and I'm going to mention this during the baptism. They're acting something out that has already taken place in their life. It's like a symbolic action uh, of a new life that's, that's begun already when they put their faith in Christ and acknowledge their need for Him. Okay? And anyone who does that, who, who, put, who does not put their trust in their own ability to be good enough for God or to do enough good things because it's never good enough, because God's standard is perfection, we will never reach that unless we know the one who is perfect, and that's Jesus, okay? We put our hope in him. It, this is the way it works. Um, it's like an exchange happens. When you put your faith in Christ, what happens is uh, Christ, in a sense, um, has already died for our sins at that point, right? And he, gets the, he takes our sin on him and did years ago, and then, but we get what's called the righteousness of Christ, when God looks at us now, when we believe in Christ, when He looks at us, He doesn't see oh, um, He doesn't see uh, a lost person anymore. He sees one who's forgiven in Christ, who, who's been cleansed by the blood of Christ, and who and who is now one of His. Okay. And it's so it's so simple that a child can understand it if their heart's right before God. Okay, we've got, we've got, uh, we've got. I don't have to remember how how old Isaac Minier it is here. Uh, But he's the youngest, I think, of the group getting baptized. But then we have adults getting baptized, right? It doesn't really matter where you are. What matters is to put your faith in Christ. And if you do, uh, not only is that future with him secure, and you'll be joining him in the clouds, but you will have him with you living your daily life through the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's an amazing thing. Amazing thing. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you have given us this chapter 7. You you remind us through this, just like, like I think that you were doing with Daniel. Here these Daniel and his people were not in their homeland anymore. They were captured and taken away, exiles in a foreign land. They couldn't go to the place of worship that they longed for. Their hearts were, uh, were really longing to be in your presence at the temple, but they couldn't do that. And so, Lord, you were giving them here a vision of hope that, yes, you're going to go through these difficult times. Yes, the people of God are going to, in, in, going to encounter persecution, but in the end, in the end, the books will be opened and evil will be judged and my people will be saved and restored and become the rulers of the new heavens and new earth. Lord, we thank you for this, this message of hope. Help us, Lord. Help us, God, to keep our eyes on you and the things above, not on things that are on earth. And help us, Lord, not to put our hope in human centers of power, but in the one who's coming in the clouds. And, Father, remind us, too, that we have brothers and sisters all over the world suffering,